0: Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Our goal is to help Christians understand the truth of Romans 15, 14, that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm one of your hosts, Curtis Solomon.
1: And I'm Lincoln Liu, your other host. Be sure to check out other resources from the BCC at biblicalcc.org.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. The strongest MDiv just got stronger. Southern Seminary's new MDiv is now simplified, personalized, and incentivized. It's simplified by providing students a foundational core of 21 credit hours in each of these three academic disciplines, biblical studies, theological studies, and practical studies. It's personalized through 21 credit hours of electives that students customize around their unique ministry calling to earn graduate certificates. Those certificates indicate specialized training in key areas of ministry. It's incentivized by saving residential MDiv students $1,800 in tuition each semester. The benefits of all MDiv students are greater personalization, increased specialization, and the opportunity to earn more credentials in an efficient amount of time. Discover how you can benefit from an MDiv that is a simplified, personalized, and incentivized at sbts.edu forward slash new Once again, that's sbts.edu forward slash new Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of 1514. As always, I'm delighted to have you as part of our audience. Today, we have an extra special opportunity not mm. for you on the listening end but we are recording for the first time ever in front of a live audience so uh all those people here in the bookstore at southern seminary give us a shout out make some noise so everybody can hear you there we go all right so lakin are you nervous
1: Oh, a lot, yes. <laughs> we do not usually do this at all. No, so. we don't
0: usually have an audience, so it's kind of exciting. I'm excited. I'm, I'm hoping it gives us a little, gives me more energy. You bring all the energy usually, so I appreciate that. But uh, hopefully these people bring some energy uh, to the podcast as well. Well, today we are talking, We ha- we kind of... I have to switch seats because I'm That's not the right. I'm not the interviewer this time. I'm the interviewee. We're talking today about my book. I have mm-hmm. PTSD. Reorienting mm-hmm. after trauma just came out around Labor Day in September. Uh, thank you for reading it. I know I'm kind of made you, but um, <laughs> so I'm going to hand it over to you, Laken. You're in the driver's seat today.
1: Oh gosh. Well, hopefully I can drive well. <laughs>
0: I hope you can <laughs> too.
1: Okay, so before we dive into the book, I kind of want to get some background. Um, information and just hear from you before we dive in. So, can you give us a quick summary from your experience um, of being in the Air Force?
0: Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I will. Ha- I do say uh, that my background and why I wrote this book has nothing to do with my mm-hmm. time in the Air Force because I, I did what's called command and control which is a very safe job mm-hmm. uh, I jokingly tell my friends especially my brothers and sisters in arms and those who were in combat roles like I was fighting the war on terror with Google uh, and when you look at career fields in the Air Force they list all the the dangers associated with your job mm-hmm. hazard with your job so their job hazards mine were poor lighting and bad ergonomics <laughs> so I mean carpal tunnel can be a real beast <laughs> but it's not quite as bad as bombs, tanks, you know, other stuff like that. Uh, but my my uh, I did serve in the United States Air Force, so the Air California and Kentucky Air National Guard from 99 to 2005. Um, I was activated after 9-11 for mm. Operation Noble Eagle, and then when I transferred to Kentucky, that the unit here, here the went way. to Afghanistan, and I was activated for what's called mm. Operation Enduring Freedom. Um, but I stayed stateside most of the time for that, very safe. But my interest in, um, PTSD was really sparked that after my military service and after seminary, Mm -hmm. I worked for the Department of Veterans Affairs and I saw all these men and women coming out of the armed forces who had put their lives on the line, coming back with, with lots of different issues. I was helping process disability claims. Uh, so obviously PTSD was a big, big part of it. Mm -hmm. And I had studied biblical counseling in my undergrad and then in my master's degree. And I knew one of the key pieces that these people needed was Jesus mm. and wisdom from his word. But coming through the VA, they're just, they're not going to get that. So that kind of put a seed in my heart that grew. And when I went back to do a PhD, um, I thought, Lord, if, if you are willing, I would love to study post-traumatic stress disorder uh, from a biblical perspective, and the Lord opened a lot of doors, allowed that to happen. My dissertation was an empirical study of the Mighty Oaks Foundation's Legacy Program, uh, which is a, a week-long peer-to-peer program created by veterans for veterans. Now they minister to first responders and, and more, mm-hmm. um, but that's kind of where that seed was planted. Um I I don't have a lot of crazy, I have some funny (laughs) funny stories from my military time, but not a lot of crazy intense stories like a lot of of people do, so. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, thank you for serving and wanting to just serve our country in that way. And so that was a while from your PhD until also starting to write this book.
0: Yep. Yep. So
1: how did you get into writing this book? Was this another seed that the Lord um, grew in your heart or was this (laughs) just someone asked you to write about this?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I hate writing personally. Uh, So this is definitely something the Lord makes me do. Um, Actually, the publisher, New Growth Press, approached me and they said they have this series of books in the Ask Ask a Christian Counselor series. And they said, hey, we would really love if you uh, could contribute to the series in in the area of PTSD. PTSD mm-hmm. is something, and trauma is something that our culture is talking a lot about right now. Um, but it's also something that's been a part of human history uh, for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't always called it PTSD. We haven't uh, always addressed it and thought about it as, as maybe as focused um, as in recent time. But it's been a, a part of our lives. So they asked me, could you create a 10 to 12 chapter book that would be for the person who's struggling with trauma, knowing that they're probably not going to read it and their counselor's going to need to read it with them. And I was like, let me think about that for a second. Cause it was a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, it was a few years since I had graduated from my, from my dissertation and from my PhD. Um, and I really did have to boil down a lot of stuff. And I, I think what came out is a very helpful, uh, mm-hmm. Ground-level, easy-to-digest book that will hopefully really help people who are struggling.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I even... I've told Curtis this, but I read this book right before I would go to bed, like for a couple of weeks just to, um, yeah, get through it. as like an ambient replacement. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds weird to say I was reading a PTSD. You were surprised because you were like, that's a heavy, like this Hmm. is a heavy topic and Hmm. it is weighty. But I think something that really stood out was that the hope that is built into it is just always there and always Hmm. evident. Um, And that doesn't neglect that PTSD and PTS is hard Yeah. or that, that it can just be easily overcome by thinking about hope, but rather that there's hope in it and during it rather than just hope after you get over PTS.
0: Yeah, no, and and the beauty of it and the reason is is because Christ is there before, Mm. in the midst of, and after the Mm. experiences that lead to trauma. Um, So if Christ exists, hope exists. Mm. Sometimes we don't tap into it, and I, I really hope... That that shown through in the book that this is about Jesus primarily, mm-hmm. and the hope that he offers to people um, as one who understands weaknesses, understands uh, trauma better than any of us mm-hmm. ever would. Um, yeah, so I hope that I'm glad that came through.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we can get into the book. What right. um, is the thesis of the book, and what are you trying to help portray to the reader or to the counselor?
0: Yeah, I think what I'm trying to help people understand uh, the, the a number of things, um, is that one I, I do like to and, I, and early on in the book I try to explain that I like to take the D out of PTSD mm-hmm. and talk about it as post traumatic stress because the biggest take one of the biggest takeaways for people is that this is not an a normal or an abnormal response to normal life. Let me say that again. Mm-hmm. This is not an abnormal response to normal life. This is a very common response to extreme suffering. Mm. So, because some people walk away, first of all, if you get a diagnosis of PTSD, usually you are told this is a lifelong disease or disability you will have. There is no known cure. There's no hope for you to overcome it. And it can be very discouraging, very robbing of hope. And what I want people to understand is we take the D off of that to help them understand you're not a freak. You're not Mm -hmm. broken. You're not somehow uh, unhelpable and and, and hopeless. There is a lot of hope. And Mm -hmm. some of that comes through acknowledging This is a common response to extreme suffering. So that's one thing I want people to see. And then I do, I want them to see that there is hope. They can Mm. be changed. Trauma is disorienting. Mm. Uh, It makes people feel lost, confused, like the world is turned upside down. And I want them to see that there is a hope and a path towards reorienting Mm. their lives around God, his purposes for their lives, his design for their life, and they can get back on track Mm. with his help and with the help of some others surrounding them as well.
1: Mm. No, that's great. In one of the first pages, you write, while overcoming often involves a long journey, there is hope for healing and growth. Mm. These can be from the hands of the great healer of soul and body, Jesus Christ. And um, I think that totally just shows the thesis and of everything that your book is trying to accomplish. Um, And it goes into detail how that hope is applied and where you can find that hope. But it also talks about healing. So what does healing, true healing on this side of heaven look like?
0: No, that's a a great question because I also, you don't want to overstate or set people's expectations up. Like if I read this book, all of a sudden I'm never gonna have a bad memory. I'm never gonna have Mm -hmm. a bad dream. Uh, I'm never gonna struggle. Um, there are some people by God's grace who through time, through counsel, through work, through gr- drawing closer to the Lord, the, the intrusive memories and some of the other more negative responses that people experience in trauma um, can diminish, can even vanish. But oftentimes what healing looks like is equipping them of how to respond mm. when those things come, mm. who to turn to, how to turn to Him and and what to do in those moments. But yeah, many, many people actually, by God's grace, have gone from having what would be described and diagnosed as extreme post-traumatic stress disorder where they're having dissociative episodes uh, and what that looks like. It can look like somebody just blanking out in you you see them there, but you you might be able to realize like mentally they are somewhere else mm-hmm. um, because where their body is physically, their mind has gone to a different place. Sometimes that can be as extreme as, as living and acting out something related to the trauma or actually the, what the traumatic experience was like. Or um, another extreme dissociative uh, response is passing out. Mm-hmm. So we talk about our threat response system. We often talk about fight or flight, but Common, actually, there are about four common responses in extreme, extreme suffering: fight, flight, freeze, or faint. And that mm-hmm. fainting is something that sometimes people do. And I, th- I think it is part of God's, um, our God-given threat response system to help us preserve life and maintain um, some, some in some ways, some sanity by escaping the worst of the worst of the worst of the suffering by. By passing out so mm-hmm. but people can go from having that kind of thing having uh nightmares and flashbacks that are waking them up in the middle of the night other things like that too living a pretty pretty normal mm-hmm. life where those things aren't a part of their experience anymore and that's that is a hope that we can hold out for people mm-hmm. um through god and his word and a, and a right response to those things
1: mm-hmm. no that's great now who is the audience you kind of hit on this little bit yep The audience of the book.
0: Yeah. The audience It very much is the person who's struggling with trauma. And I know we talked about my military experience, um, and a lot of people think PTSD, military. But I I want to say very, very clearly as many times as I possibly can, Mm -hmm. trauma is not, and PTSD are not military issues. They're not limited to that. They're life issues. Uh, If you go back to the very first family in scripture, we find trauma. Right, you find second generation murder of one brother against another. Mm-hmm. And scripture doesn't define for us or describe for us, but with our sanctified imagination, just think about what it would have been like for Eve or Adam to be wandering around looking for their boys and find Abel on the ground dead. Mm-hmm. They had never experienced human death prior to that point. And then the first time they encounter human death, it's not just natural causes, it's not old age, it's murder. Mm. And then to learn that it was their other son who did it. Mm. Again, we aren't told what, what that happened, but we can imagine that would have an impact mm. on their whole person, their soul. Um, and so trauma has been with us from the beginning. And there's mm. so many other places, natural disasters, uh, car accidents, assaults, Crime, robbery, sudden unexpected deaths—things along those lines. It is not a military issue. Mm. So, in the book, I try to—I use, use three vignettes of people who are kind of amalgams of different counselees i I've had. One who was a a, a gal who lost uh, a close loved one. Um, one who was a guy who was in a car accident, and another guy who was a veteran who was in uh, in combat and experienced combat trauma. So. It's written for anybody struggling with any type of PTSD. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the goal. I do throw in a few extra things for the counselor, for the person who's walking with them, Mm -hmm. um, because I do realize, one, I encourage the person who's struggling, don't do this alone,
1: Mm -hmm. right?
0: Like you should not try to overcome this struggle on your own. First thing that God says in Genesis that is not good is for us to be alone, and that was pre-fall, Mm. How much more do we need community? Mm-hmm. How much more do we need each other uh, in the aftermath of, of severe suffering? So
1: mm. Now, it's not a military issue, as you just discussed. How should we as believers and who we know even this isn't, like believers can have trauma.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're mm-hmm.
1: not um, excused from it. And that is a word that sometimes can be lightly thrown around and how do we help bring it to it's like right appropriate word?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a challenging topic and it's something that Mm -hmm. I would need to, it's not, I didn't write as much on it in this book and I would like to write on it more. The reality is, is that trauma I, I believe is a term that we should reserve for, the most extreme suffering and the most extreme responses to Mm -hmm. that suffering. Because when we start calling everything trauma, that means nothing is trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And while we don't necessarily follow suit with the secular mental health world, we we can learn things from them. And they actually, if you look at the diagnosis for post-traumatic stress disorder... They limit what they consider potentially traumatic events. So, with trauma, you actually have a com- you have to have a combination of two things. You have to have a combination of a certain type of event that is a is severe, severe suffering, and then you have to have a type of response to that mm-hmm. event, a certain type of response, a severe response, and a severe event coming together is what would qualify somebody for a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. And I know some people will say, well, PTSD and trauma are not the same thing. And you're right, you're right, they aren't. But we, <clears throat> what I try to encourage people to do is think about, do you believe that there are different levels of suffering and most mm-hmm. people are comfortable saying, yeah, I think, I think there are different mm-hmm. levels of suffering, right? Like if I spilled your water on the floor right now, that's one level. If I took your phone and threw it on the wall <laughs> and it smashed, that's a different level. If I shoved you on the floor, that's a different level, right? Like yeah. and we can escalate. And we, we do see this definition and limitation of potentially traumatic events around things that actually cause or threaten to cause death, severe bodily harm or violation of sexual integrity. Those are actually limiting factors. If you went to a psychologist or psychiatrist and they were going to diagnose you out of the DSM five, they would, you would have to have what they call a criterion, a stressor. And it is one of related to something like that, where you observe one of those things happening that happens directly to you, or you learn about it happening to a close loved one. Um, That if you have the types of traumatic responses that I'll mention in a minute, and but you experience those types of responses related to something like a breakup, um, some other kind of difficulty, they would diagnose you with a completely different diagnosis called adjustment disorder, basically saying you uh, haven't learned how to handle normal suffering in life. Mm. Now, back up from that, I want to be very 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 clear. God cares about all suffering. Mm-hmm. And all suffering is significant. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that it's our part of the reason people want to claim the moniker trauma is because we have done a poor job mm. of helping people grieve and understand the significance of their sufferings. Mm. And they look around at the world and they see people who are able to talk about their suffering. They're getting care for their suffering. People are grieving with them Mm -hmm. and letting them grieve. And they say, I want that. Mm -hmm. And if I can say I have trauma, the culture gives me permission to do those things. Mm -hmm. But if I don't have trauma, then maybe my church, maybe my friends, maybe my parents, maybe my Mm -hmm. family say, suck it up, buttercup. Like your suffering mm-hmm. isn't as bad as so-and-so's over there, so just deal with it. And that's not God's response. Mm-mm. That is not the Bible's response, right? Isaiah sixty-three nine says that he is afflicted in all of our affliction and he cares about our, so God cares about our suffering and he wants to care for our suffering. Mm-hmm. And when we help people understand that, I think that alleviates in a sense this pressure to, to have been through trauma, mm-hmm. Um, and so going back to the conversation I would have with somebody, and I don't have this conversation every time somebody uses the term <laughs> trauma, right? Um, but if I'm in a conversation with somebody, I'm getting to know them, I'm listening to them, I'm building a relationship and they keep talking about trauma, I might ask them like, well, what do you mean by trauma? What's trauma to mm-hmm. you? And then I would talk about these different levels of suffering. And then I would say, well, do you think that people who go through death, loss of life, um, you know, sexual trauma, other stuff like that—that that they've been through something maybe worse mm-hmm. than the rest of us. And they would say, "Yeah, do you think we should love them in a particular way?" Yeah, I said, "I think one way we can love those people is by reserving that term mm. trauma for them." Mm. Uh, and I and I do think I think there are reasons and that where people experience something else, uh, I think children who are ripped out of their homes and who are placed in something else other than their home experience trauma. Um, and I, I think that's, there's a lot more to be said about it, but there is a sense in which death has occurred. Mm. Like your understanding of your safety, your livelihood, everything else has been ripped away from you. Yeah. And it, it is experienced almost like a threat of death. Mm. Um, and that's why I think they have that. The flip side or the other side is those particular types of suffering. Um <clears throat> intrusive symptoms like flashbacks nightmares things like that that we talked about and again you can have a, a nightmare or something like that of of suffering but it's not of a of a traum- traumatic experience mm-hmm. like every suffering is going to stick with you um the other so you have intrusive symptoms avoidance symptoms this is where you try to avoid everything associated with the trauma or anything that might remind you of the trauma uh, negative alterations in cognition or mood, difficulty thinking, difficulty concentrating, just a negative outlook on life, thinking really bad things about self, others, the world, all those kind of things. And then alterations in arousal and reactivity, people who no longer are excited about the things that used to excite them mm-hmm. or they get overexcited about, like in an, an exaggerated startle response is part of that where, you know, they hear a loud bang, dive on the floor, something along those lines. And then <clears throat> the symptoms last for over a month. All of those things combining and it interfering with life is what you would need to be mm-hmm. diagnosed with PTSD. So I tell, I tell people, you know, if, if Lakin punches me uh, in the podcast, which she might do here in a minute, <laughs> <laughs> and the next time I'm with somebody and they raise their arm and I flinch, that's not a traumatic response. That's a normal human response, learning mm-hmm. to, to respond to a threat. If, if, I'm beaten, and then later on somebody raises their arm and I curl up in the ball on the floor, that's a traumatic response, Mm. right? There's a a severe level of suffering in response to the suffering and a severe suffering that started with it. Those two things, hand in hand, um, are honestly what's required for somebody to get a diagnosis of PTSD. So. I talked for a long time. I'm not even sure what question launched me into that. So, bring me, reel me back in. No, you're Laken. good.
1: No, so I'm learning to take away from that is learning how to care for our brothers and sisters mm, yep. when it's little suffering and when it's much suffering. Yeah. And yep. yeah, helping them get the care that they need when it's little so that when it does come much, helping also how to differentiate that. Yeah. So, No, it's good. So there are a lot of different ways to approach um, just PTSD. Mm -hmm. And so the ways that you decided to approach it were in three parts. And you had part one, you are not alone. Part two, dealing with your past. And part three, learning to reorient your past, present, and future. How did you decide these are the three elements that I want to make my book up? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think these are the three elements that are kind of essential in caring for somebody. One is the never fight alone is helping them understand they can, uh, isolation leads to death, community breeds life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I stole that from Johnny Erickson Tata and it's just such a good reality. So that's where I encourage them to build around themselves what I call a transformation team. And I go into more detail in the book of what that includes, but part of it is a counselor, Mm -hmm. somebody that you're walking alongside and whether or not they are a paid counselor or whatever, somebody who loves God loves his word has some competency to care for you. Well, and then also having three or four people who you can call on at other times, um, like if you start to have a panic attack or just struggling a little bit and you need somebody to remind you, somebody to help you run through that peace plan, which is something I talk about in the book, you can't do this alone. You have mm-hmm. to have other people. The The middle section, what was the middle section? It, <laughs> remind was, me of the book, you, what
1: I wrote. Um, <coughs> dealing with your past.
0: Yeah, dealing with your past. And, and that's going to mm-hmm. broadly break down into two categories, one of suffering and one of sin helping people looking looking backwards. Obviously, the suffering is a significant part mm-hmm. of what they've gone through. And as I mentioned in that other question, we have often not taught people how to grieve, mm-hmm. how to lament, how to handle yep. that in a biblical way. So I try to offer some some biblical guidance on that. And then dealing with sin, um, oftentimes you, when you talk to people, and I, I just did this talk at CCF on combat trauma or military-related trauma, people will assume it's what happened to me or what what uh, was done to me or what I saw happen to my friend that is bothering. But oftentimes, it's the questions of guilt and shame that are the most mm. strugg- biggest struggle for people. Uh, and then so helping them sort through what are they actually mm-hmm. responsible for and what are they not responsible for? And, and dealing with survivor's guilt, confused guilt, false guilt, all those things versus what what have you actually... Mm-hmm. Is there sin? And if so, how do you actually handle that? So dealing with the past and then reorienting towards the future. That's where I'm, I'm trying to give them a path forward, what to do. And a, a big part of that is helping them reinterpret so much of life. Mm-hmm. Um, post-traumatic stress has an interpretive element to it mm-hmm. in that, you know, Lakin, if you're killed, I'm going to grieve and it's going to bother me a lot. But if, if my wife is killed, it's going to mm. be more significant. You know, if, if you go outside today and you watch, hopefully this doesn't happen, but if you saw a car accident and you saw the aftermath of that car accident, if that person was a stranger, it's going to affect your soul. It should affect your soul. Mm. But if that person was a loved one, you, the, the stimuli, the external stimuli would be exactly the same, but because of your relationship to that person, you are interpreting the whole experience very differently. Well, that, that is actually, can be helpful to us as well because we can help people go back and reinterpret significant aspects of their past trauma, their responses to that trauma, their current reality, and their future around what God's word would say about those things instead of maybe how they've interpreted it up to this Mm -hmm. point. One example, because I can't go into all of it, but I do have a chart that asks them to fill out thinking about their thoughts, feelings, Mm -hmm. and desires around themselves, God, others, and their circumstances. So for instance, a lot of people who've been through traumatic experiences, you ask them, well, what did you think about God in that moment? Well, in that moment back then, they might've not even thought of God. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they thought, where is God? There is no God, something along those lines. Then I asked them to think about their present. So that's your past past. Like in that moment, what were you thinking? Now there's your present past. Right now, as you're looking back at that past experience, mm. what do you think about God? Mm. And many people are, you know, especially when they first come in for counseling, are, they're frustrated. They're ticked mm. off. Like, how could God allow this to happen to me? as we work through the process, as we study scripture, as we help them understand God's love, his nature, what he's like, the fact that he cares about them, the fact that he was grieving with them, they can come to a reoriented past where they look back and say, I maybe don't agree with, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't love that God had me go through that, but I do believe he was there. Mm. I do believe he has my best in mind and, and so that's just one way, one aspect of the mm-hmm. reinterpretation process. And then putting them on, on the future, most people who come in post-trauma who they're dealing with post-traumatic stress, they don't have a bright vision of the future, mm. uh, have a very pessimistic, or maybe they don't see a future at all and they are really struggling with suicidal thinking. I want to help them learn through this process that if they are here, God has a purpose for them and that God has a purpose for their life in general. Broadly speaking, we all have the purpose of glorifying God by being conformed to the image of his son individually in their life. They have a purpose for their life, but Mm -hmm. even dialing into their trauma and what they've been through, God has a purpose for that. And we try to walk, help them Mm -hmm. walk through that and see he's got, he's got good for you in the future to come, even not in spite of this, but in and through this. Mm. Mm.
1: Yep. Yeah, I want to dive deep um, into part two dealing with your past, because I feel like that is one of the parts that sometimes, whether it's um, PTSD or we can see it in normal day life, we want to skip from um, us getting help from others and then already skipping to the reoriented part, mm. you know, I and am. that's the processing part is part two where you're dealing with your past where you really have to process a lot yep. it, whether it is you processing learning how to limit or learning how to process um, your own thoughts and processing the actual event and then processing it consistently because it hmm. may pop up at different yep. times yep. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about the importance of processing and the role that it has
0: yeah, first of all when when I say processing I just ha- I just mean helping people think through something mm. in a biblical way, right? When we say processing, that's that's honestly what we mean. We're like, we're thinking through it. Mm-hmm. But we as, as Christians and as biblical counselors, we want to people to process it biblically. So help them think through it well. And that that usually involves another person helping us do mm-hmm. that because oftentimes in our own heads, we're not processing things very well. So we have to take, it takes time. And that's, an, I think, a big part of what you're getting at too is it's it takes time to process. Mm-hmm. And then doing it in community and then doing it with, with God's word in hand is really helpful. And yeah, you just, you're going to have to do that because you, we all are prone to see, to believe things that are not true, to feel things that are not accurate for the circumstances and to uh, want things that are not right. And a lot of that, when, when we are impacted by trauma, that gets compounded to even worse. And so mm-hmm. having somebody come back and help us, Align our beliefs so that we do think what is true as well as possible. We feel what God would feel in a particular circumstance or situation, and we want what is good. That's where we're after, mm. and that's what processing is trying to get you from where you are to where you need to be mm. in that in that in that process. Mm. Yeah,
1: no, that's great. I thought it was very helpful, even for for just um, everyday life and how I need to be reminded that. Um, And so we're getting to the 30 minutes wrap up, but I did want to leave with um, just a a closer and a quote just to give an appetite for everyone to go and read the book. Um, And it says, but you are not helpless against PTSD. It does not have ultimate say or power over you. God promises to be with you as you face your triggers and he has given you allies in that fight. You have his spirit to pray with you and for you, his word of truth to find comfort in, and his people to walk alongside you. Learning to lean into him and the resources he has given you will help you put fear back into its proper place. God's plan is not that you be unchanged by it. He wants you to press close to him and to allow him to work through all things to transform you to become more like Jesus. And so now go and read the book. And learn how to walk in those truths, or learn how to walk alongside someone in those truths. Hmm.
0: Well, I can. Thanks so much for letting me talk about my book.
1: <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> and so now we open it up.
0: Well, first I want to say thanks to our audience <laughs> for being with us. So thank you so much. Give yourselves a round of applause.
1: Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.
0: And special thanks to our team who helped make this podcast possible. My assistant, Rebecca Mullins, helps coordinate these interviews. And our podcast engineer, Caleb Lau, does a great job editing and putting everything together. We look forward to you joining us next time.